0: chapter number two. And as you're turning, this will be either one of the shortest messages ever or one of the longest messages ever because I have recognized that I have left my notes at home tonight. So, but, but that, that is okay. But Revelation chapter number two. We are going to look tonight uh, at, at one particular church that... Um, that God had a message for, and that is the church of Ephesus. Uh, In fact, we're going to actually go ahead and, uh, if you will, turn to chapter 1 first, and we're going to start at verse number 9, just to get a little bit of the context of what is going on here, about who John is writing to, uh, and then we'll get into the specific message with the church of Ephesus. Revelation chapter 1, starting at verse number 9, and he writes, "...I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus." I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And in a moment he's going to give a little bit of a description about what some of this means. Verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. And I'm sure you all recognize who this is a description of. It is of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And then in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, he's going to give seven specific messages to these seven churches. Uh, And we're going to particularly look at the church of Ephesus tonight. But this is um, how this worked, that the writer would write these messages to these seven specific churches, and then they would actually share them about. So each church would end up seeing all seven messages, though uh, it was specifically to uh, these these churches. So we're going to look tonight at the church in Ephesus. And in chapter 2, verse 1, he says this, "...to the angel of the church in Ephesus right? And then let me stop right there. What in the world does it mean as far as to the angel of the church in Ephesus? And though some would speculate that this is actually talking about a literal angel, I would say that this angel is, is, uh, is also can be translated messenger. In fact, sometimes you'll see this particular word, Greek word translated messenger talking about a human messenger. And I would say it's talking specifically writing to the pastor of this particular church. Uh, so he's writing to specific to the pastor of the specific church in Ephesus, and, and then to the others as well. So, and this is the message: write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. This is a message from Jesus Christ himself to these specific churches. He continues in verse number two: I know. Your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned, that you have left the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So as we see that this particular message of the, to the church of Ephesus tonight, we're going to see several different things. First of all, we're going to see how he would give several commendations for them, several things that they were doing well. Then we're going to see a condemnation, something that they were not doing well at all, and what they would have to do about it. And then we'll see as far as the the promise that he had. So first, let's look at what he has to say as far as things that they were doing well. He starts out again in verse number 2, "...I know your works." And then the the next several things are a description of some of the works that were going on. In fact, you'll recognize this particular phrase, I know, and to each of the seven churches that he has uh, given to them. If you'll see in... Verse number nine, to the church in Smyrna, I know your tribulation and your poverty. To the church of Pergamon, verse 13, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. To the church in Thyatira, I know your works, your love and faith and service. To the church in Sardis, in chapter three, verse number one, I know your works and that you have a reputation, but you're dead. To the church in Philadelphia, in verse number eight of chapter three, I know your works. To the church in Laodicea, verse 15, I know your works. He knows exactly what is going on in each one of these specific churches that are going on 1,900 years ago. He knows, and Jesus also knows exactly what is going on in each of our churches that are going on today. He knows what is going on right now here at Diamond Hill Baptist Church. He knows the things that we are doing well. He knows the things that we are not doing well on. He knows the things that is going on not just corporately but individually as well. He knows exactly what is going on in your life right now. He knows the, 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 where you're doing relatively well. He knows where you're struggling big time. He knows your works. And because he knows your works, he is the perfect person to writes these messages because he knows exactly what is going on better than the church does itself, better than the community around the church does itself. Uh, a couple uh, a couple of the churches, he talks about how that they have a reputation. One has a reputation for being alive and are dead. One has a reputation for... They, they think that they're dead, and yet they, he says that you're actually more alive than you actually think that you are. He knows what's going on better than we know ourselves. So who better to go to than the one who, who created the church in the first place, who shed his blood for the church? What does Jesus have to say to us tonight here at Diamond Hill Baptist Church? Let's let's, let's see what he has to say with the church of Ephesus and see how much of this is applicable to us tonight. He says he knows your works. And then he describes it a little bit, first talking about your toil, your hard work. They were known for working very diligently to the point even of exhaustion they were very faithful. They were a hard working church. Not just hard working but hard working in the face of a lot of tribulation. It talks about the next phrase how uh, that your patience endurance despite all the persecution that was going on at that particular time. And Ephesus was one of those that was facing great persecution. They were faithful, they were diligent at working at a lot of the things that they were supposed to be working at. Not only were they hardworking and patient and and enduring in the midst of tribulation, but it, it talks about how that they were faithful in their doctrine. Notice what the next phrase says. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. They were very faithful. They were very diligent in testing those who were communicating. What they said were to be the gospel message. But these these people here, these believers here were very faithful and, re- and able to distinguish between what was true and what was false. And that is something that we need today, as, especially in the environment that we live in today. How that there's so much masquerading itself as the gospel. A lot of people call themselves Christians. A lot of people, who's, a lot of churches who say they are following the gospel message, but they have strayed. A lot of people who have led led them astray. And he's saying to the church of Ephesus, you're very good at this. You're very good at at people who are saying that they are apostles. You have determined by their, their message and by their lifestyle that they are not apostles and they are to be avoided. You are not bringing them into the church to spread their false doctrine. You are very faithful in this. I want to give you a commendation for this. They were very faithful in their doctrine. They were also, again, enduring patiently. There's that phrase again. And bearing up for my name's sake. Not only were they in, in. enduring and hard work and everything but again notice that phrase they were doing it for his name's sake it's one thing to be enduring for a a variety of different reasons it's one thing to be facing persecution but not facing persecution for the right reason but here they were they were enduring persecution dealing with it patiently and they were doing it for the sake of the Lord. This is a church that seemed to have a lot going for it. In fact, we might we might say at this point we they they must they have it going. I mean, all these things that they are doing well, and it talks about the next phrase talks about and you have not grown weary in this. And, and that to me that that's a striking phrase there, because whenever persecution whenever tribulation comes and we bear up with it for a while is one thing but if you're like a lot of people if that continues for a a good period of time we start to grow weary of it when is this going to end but they were still persevering they had not grown weary of it yet And then we'll look at, more at one more commendation that, they, that he has in a moment. But then here comes a problem. And this isn't just a minor issue either. With all the things that they were doing well, this is a major issue. Notice what it says. I have this against you. This is what you are doing wrong, that you have abandoned, that you have left your first love. So the question is, what does that mean, having abandoned, having left your first love? And I think there's two different ways to look at this, and I think both of them are applicable to this particular passage. I think very well that both of these uh, are in mind. First of all, I think it could very well be talking about as far as our love for Christ. Our love for Christ. It is possible to be so diligent in our doctrine and so hardworking doing all the things that we are doing, working in ministry to the bone, trying to quote-unquote grow the church, and yet, in doing that, forget why we're doing it in the first place. For some, it could be this, and this is a temptation that some that, that that certain pastors will have: is that the pressure can be very intense to quote unquote grow the church. And you can work long hours trying to do all, all the outreach you can and uh, as far as preaching messages that might draw the crowds in, and they may, may even be somewhat faithful in doing that or whatever, but yet forget why you're doing it in the first place, and your love grows cold. Forgetting who it, who it is and why you're doing this in the first place, and that a pastor's job is not to grow the church per se, as far as necessarily in numbers, But the Lord will grow his church. We are to be faithful in doing it. But the church of Ephesus has apparently forgotten this. We're doing a lot of the right things. But their love for God had gone a little cold. It wasn't totally gone. Apparently. But it was not the way that it used to be. I think there's also another way you could look at this as far as abandoningly left the love that you had at first. And that is our love for fellow believers. Um, that, that is a, another potential way to look at that. Not only could it very well be that their love for God had diminished some, but maybe very well possible their love for other people has diminished. Because when you love God, when, when your love for God starts to diminish at times, our love for other people who are in the community of God can diminish as well. Whatever the case it was with the church of Ephesus, whether it was one or the other or or very possibly both, there was an issue that they had to get corrected. And so Jesus tells them exactly what they need to do. Tells them a couple things. First off, look at verse number 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen remember what it was like at first. If it's more specifically talking about our love for Christ, remember what it was like when Christ first saved you. Now, I, I, I'm not going to necessarily ask you, but, but think about in your mind as far as if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, however long that that might, may have been. Think about what it was first like. Whether it was as maybe a younger kid, maybe it was whenever you were a teenager, maybe it was whenever you were an adult, whatever, maybe it's been just a couple years, maybe it's been 30, 40, 50 years, whatever the case may be. Remember what it was first like. As we think about this as far as in human terms, we can think about as far as for those of us who are married, what it was like when when we first married our spouse. And I'm amazed at, we could think as far as what the divorce rate is like and everything like that and how that's sometimes it's just after a few years. But what I'm really amazed at is one of the um, biggest times whenever marriages get divorced is once the kids have moved out of the home, maybe after 20 years or so. And it could very well be that, that they have built their life, their marriage more on their kids, and that they have maybe the spouses have just slowly drifted apart and their love was is not as as fervent as it was once years ago. And that's what it is talking about here as far as our love for Christ. Is it as fervent as it was when he first saved you? Remember what that was like. Remember the condition that you were in before salvation and, and how he delivered you from that. Remember that. And then repent. To turn back. Go back the way that it once was. Do the works that you did at first. Whether it's as far as with our love for God Or as it manifests itself as far as with our our, our love for other people. Repent of that. Recognize it for what it is. It is sin. It is not just a character flaw in our lives. It's not necessarily just a stage that we're going through. It is not just a personality quirk or anything like that. This is a major deal. This is sin, and we need to repent. And notice what he says, if not, he's telling this church, the church of Ephesus, and we need to think of this as individuals and as a church here tonight as well. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, Unless you repent. What in the world does that mean? Does that mean that we're going to lose our salvation? No. But it well means that we will lose our influence. Maybe not even, maybe even more than that, losing our influence that we may possibly even in time would cease to be as far as a local church. If not, I will come to you. There will be judgment involved. Unless you repent. Verse 6. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. It's striking that he, all of a sudden he goes back to a positive here. So he kind of sandwiches in the criticism. You've got, you've got a lot of these good things going for you, but here's the main issue. You need to get corrected. And then just so they don't just wallow in despair or anything like that, he will give them one more commendation, one more, this is something that you're doing well. Just kind of maybe an, an application sometimes whenever we need to deliver hard messages to people. Um, sometimes as far as talk about some of the things that they're doing well, and, but then we also have to deliver the hard message as well. So he gives them one more commendation. You ha- you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, Scripture doesn't really say much anymore about the Nicolaitans. There's one other church that's mentioned about, about the Nicolaitans. Uh, church history, there's not a, a whole lot there. There's basically two different ideas possibly in mind. One, it could be as far as... Uh, the Nicolaitans would be uh, come from uh, two Greek words and talking about a little bit of a distinction about uh, an unbiblical thing as far as with the clergy and laity. I think more than likely it could very well be uh, someone by the name of Nicholas who, who founded this particular thing. Whatever the case may be, it was some sort of false doctrine that they again had judged rightly, in the fact that it needed to be avoided. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Talking about those who would overcome a promise. Let's just real quickly go down the, the list of churches. Look at the church of Smyrna. Verse number 8. To the angel of the church of Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. They didn't have much at all. So we, we could look as far as with the church of Ephesus. They were a church that had a lot going for it. But they had left, they had abandoned their first love. The Church of Smyrna was a church that was undergoing so much tribulation in part with the Church of Ephesus. They also had very little, had very little money. People on the outside, the community, would have thought that Church of Smyrna would not be worth going to at all. They don't, they, there's nothing that they have going for them whatsoever. But what does Jesus say? He says, But you are rich. Not necessarily in money, and church buildings, or anything like that, but you have what's going for you the most. You bear with the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. But be faithful even unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. We had the church of Ephesus, the church that had left its first love. We had the church of Smyrna, a church that was undergoing so much tribulation. But Jesus says, you have a lot going for you because you had the most important thing of all. Then you have the church of Pergamum. Verse twelve: To the angel of the church in Pergamum, write the words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name. You did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. You've been faithful in persecution as well. Even someone who has died, and yet you are still faithful in serving me. Well, that seems to be a good thing. Obviously, it is. But I have a few things against you. What does Jesus say this? You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. So here was a church that was bearing well with persecution, but they were not as faithful in doctrine as they needed to be. They were holding to those to the teaching of Balaam. You can see a little bit about what that is in the book of Numbers. Um, they were holding to the, some. Of the, some were holding to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. So he has the same message to them as to the church of Ephesus. S- different sin issue. Same thing that needed to be done. Repent. Therefore, repent. If not. I will come to you soon and war against him with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden man, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the, name, except the one who receives it. He has a message to the church of Thyatira. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze, talking about his holiness here. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. So some good things that are going on. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Tolerating that. You're doing well in certain aspects, but you've got a major blind spot here. You're tolerating uh, some particular woman who's calling herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing people to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent... But she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. I will strike her children dead. All the churches will know that I am He who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works." But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers... The one who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with a the rod of iron as with earthen pots or broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As you, You'll see that phrase mentioned time and time and time again, and that's something that we need to pay attention to tonight. Who, who, he who has an ear to hear listen to the words that he is saying to these seven churches and by application what he is telling us here at Diamond Hill tonight. As we're seeing it with some of these churches, in particular with the church of Ephesus and then with some of these other churches, kind of a mixed bag. There were churches that were doing really good things, but then there was—they had some. I was going to say weaknesses, but let's use the biblical word sins that they were tolerating false doctrine. That they had left their first love. Kind of a, and what's going on with all of our churches today? We could take a, an overview as far as of churches today, and go to different churches throughout the United States. We can, we can go just through different churches here in Statesville and see examples of each one of these particular churches. We could uh church in Tower, Tower again, some of the stuff that they was that was going on. It wasn't all the members of the church. Some of them were being faithful, but then some of them were being led way astray. We could look at the church of Sardis in chapter 3, verse number one. He says unto the angel of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. You have a reputation. Your, your, your attendance is bursting forth through the seams. You, you, you've got all the, the, the money, the buildings, the, the attendance. People in the community are saying, look what is going on in this particular church right here. This is the church to go to. And he tells them, you have a reputation for being alive. You're actually dead. The one church, the second church, the church in Smyrna, your reputation throughout the community, more kind of you're dead. You you don't have much going on. He says, you're rich. You're, You're not poor. You're rich in what really matters. This church in Sardis, you might have a reputation, but I know what's really going on. You're a spiritually dead church. So in what you need to do, you need to wake up, verse 2, and strengthen what remains, what little bit remains apparently. There was still apparently a little bit of stuff going on that was good. Uh, maybe a very small remnant of people. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not sold their garments, and they will walk with me in whites, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Then you got to the church of Philadelphia. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then he's got one last message to the church in Laodicea. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Notice there this particular church. All these other churches so far, they've had at least something going for them, basically. Even the, the church of uh, Sardis had had a, had a remnant that he he complements. The church in Laodicea, there is no commendation whatsoever. It is all condemnation. It is all this is what you're doing wrong. You have again a reputation of being rich, of prospering, but you do not know what your spiritual condition really is. You're a wretched. You're pitiable. You're poor. You're blind. You're naked. You're neither cold or hot. And in this particular church in Laodicea, as far as the area, they were they were known for as far as with their water. As far as one of the things that I struggled with in the past was thinking about how how could he be sad? How could he say that it'd be better for you to be cold rather than lukewarm? I mean wouldn't it hot spiritually warm and then been cold being totally anti-God or whatever? And then he says you'd rather be cold than lukewarm. Actually, what he's saying here is cold water is good, hot water is good. And especially with Laodicea, with, with the way that the city was built, they would recognize this. Cold water can be very good for certain things. Whenever you're hot on in a, in a, a hot summer day and been working outside in the garden or outside and work or whatever, nothing feels better than a cold glass of water. Or as far as hot water, things that, that hot water can be good for. Cold water is very beneficial to certain things. Hot water is be- very beneficial to certain things. But lukewarm water is really not good for either. In fa- and that's why he talks about as far as like drinking lukewarm water, duck. So what do they need to do? The exact same thing as all these other churches needed to do. They needed to repent. They needed to return. What is Jesus saying to you tonight as an individual and here as a church, as a collection of of believers? With these particular churches and within particular this church of Laodicea, notice what he says in verse 19 of chapter 3. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. What is he saying? He's saying, I recognize what your true spiritual condition is. I recognize it better than you recognize it yourself. And so I am going to bring certain things into your life so that you would recognize what your true spiritual condition is. Because I love you, I am going to bring these situations to bring you into discipline so that it would bring you back to repentance. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will come into him, eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We looked very briefly tonight. I was planning on just doing the Church of Ephesus, but just kind of looked at all seven churches. What is your life most reflective in in these particular churches? What do you resonate with the most? What one is the one that the Holy Spirit is saying to you? This is an area in your life that you need to get corrected. Because remember, God knows our works. He knows the things that we're doing well. He knows the things that we're not doing well at all. He knows the condition of our individual lives, and he knows the condition of our church and the churches around the world much better than even we recognize it. So what we need to do tonight, and we're going, and I pray that you do this individually. And also be, be thinking about as far as corporately as well. What are some things that the Holy Spirit is pointing out that we need to repent of? These particular churches, some of it was doctrinal issues. Now the one thing I love about Diamond Hill Baptist Church we're not a perfect church by any means but I so appreciate in particular Pastor Larry and how much he emphasizes true doctrine and how much it it you can t- he is passionate about it because he's passionate about the Lord Jesus Christ he knows that 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 the, it is imperative to have that correct and I love that. I don't think, as a world, as a, as a, the leadership in, in particular, that that is a major issue that we have. But maybe it's something that you might have in your individual life. That maybe that you're just not strong in doctrine as you ought to be. Maybe it's, Sometimes I get frustrated with, 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 with certain churches and how that they seem to not put an emphasis on doctrine whatsoever and think that our love for Jesus is enough. But as we see here, you can't really separate love for Jesus and and true, correct, biblical doctrine. They're they're, they're intertwined. Now, it it seems to be possible that you can have correct doctrine and not have a a zealous, passionate love for Jesus Christ. But when you have, when your affections are are, are in the right order, when when you're loving Jesus Christ with, with everything that you are, you'll want to have correct doctrine as well. Why? Because it's, it's it's just whether it be the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of Jesus Christ. It's just God revealing Himself to us. For others, it may be certain sin issues. Maybe you're you're very you're very firm in your doctrine. You you have it. You you don't know things necessarily perfectly, but but you're you're that is an area that you're good at. But maybe in your life you have certain sin issues that have crept up in your life that need to be repented of. Maybe it is pride. Maybe it's you have a, you have a reputation that that spiritually you're strong and everything, but yet you have let certain things creep in your life and it is not. And your love for Christ has diminished somewhat. Maybe it's more you love doctrine more for an intellectual exercise rather than for who he is himself. For others, it's certain sinful lifestyles, maybe that you not necessarily participate in, but notice that a couple of these churches, it wasn't that they were participating in the sins themselves, like some churches were, but they were just tolerating people who were, uh, in their midst in their church and they weren't doing anything about it and, and almost celebrating it. In fact you could we could look at the church of Corinth how that you, you had a, a situation in chapter 5 how that someone was having a relationship with their, their mother, stepmother and the church was say, not doing anything about it whatsoever. For others it, it could be just a wide number of things. Maybe for some it's you have, you have not been showing that patient endurance that some of these churches have. Maybe you have gotten discouraged by, by things not going well. Uh, that you have, maybe you have been serving God faithfully, and then things have happened in your life and you've just gotten tired. You have served God faithfully. For the right reason, even, but things in your life have just continued, continued to, and instead of recognizing it, and you might, uh, instead of treating it as recognizing it as kind of part of life itself, and sometimes God will bring trials in our life to, to not necessarily, sometimes it's, He brings trials in our lives to discipline us, sometimes He brings trials in our life to, Conform us more into the image of Christ. That's one of the main things that he does. But maybe you have gotten weary of that. Endure. Be faithful. Be patient. Let him have his perfect work in you. To the church of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Diamond Hill, What is the Spirit pointing out in your life right now? And when he points it out, will we acknowledge it for what it is, sin, and repent? Or will we continue to make excuses for what it is? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your word tonight. We are thankful for the messages that you've sent to each one of these seven churches. And Lord, as we see looking at these seven churches, and we could even look at all the other churches that were going on in the New Testament, there was not any perfect churches whatsoever. They all had um, sins that they had to deal with, times it was messy. But Lord, we are so thankful that you wouldn't just leave these churches in the condition that they were in. For those who were doing moderately well, you would encourage them to continue on and to repent of those. Maybe if you maybe a way to say it would be fewer sins, Lord. For some, they had such major issues, and we're thankful that you would send your word to them, that they would repent. Lord, you know the spiritual condition of each and every person here tonight. Uh, from the oldest to the youngest. And I just pray your spirit would have its per- do its perfect work in our lives. Help us to see ourselves both as individuals and as a church the way that you see us. Help us to recognize our true spiritual condition. Help us to not be deceived. But to that you would reveal yourself to us reveal our condition uh, to where we can get right with you we thank you lord we love you when we want to love you more and more we want to endure even when it gets difficult In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here tonight. God bless.